determine carefully the meaning of words. Um, this is one of the... I hate to place them in any level of importance because they're all important. But this is... If I had to, I'd say this is one of the most important of the uh, the rules that we're going to be looking at. Um, and you'll see why. I'll give us some examples that we can uh, we can look at for this. So, um, now as we as we talked about previously, um, obviously God has uh, communicated to us in a specific way, um, and that is through words. And so, uh, words are very important. Um, Maybe not surprisingly, but it sort of is that there are those uh, today who want to claim that um, that they're not, and uh, and whether whether we realize it or not, we've all in some form been influenced by the sort of uh, thinking or the ideas that would claim um, that you know words have meaning only as far as we determine what that meaning is. Um, it's very much a, a part of our culture is to determine the meaning of words based upon what I think it is, um, based upon how it makes me feel or how I want to understand it or whatever else. Um, and as we've talked about many times, um, that's certainly not uh, the way to read the Bible. Uh, the question, what does this mean to you or what, how does this make you feel or whatever, doesn't really matter in the end. Uh, it matters what God has communicated as God has communicated it. We don't write letters or emails uh, with the intent of someone getting it and asking the question, oh, well, how does this, uh, what, do I, what does this do for me? Uh, it doesn't matter. It matters what I'm trying to communicate. Um, so um, <clears throat> what makes it even more difficult, though, as we go to the Scriptures, is that the words that we're reading, we always have to remember, um, were written in a different language at a different time. And so as we go uh, to do the work of biblical interpretation and understanding what the biblical text means, um, we have some work to do. And uh, any student of the Bible really needs to get, um, get the right tools and have the, uh, have the ability to do the work that is required to uh, understand specific words. If you've never done word studies before, this is, uh, this is something that uh, hopefully we can we can all improve in because um, there are certain things that uh, um, that really need uh, a little more effort than a, a quick uh, cursory reading. Um, <clears throat> so obviously, uh, if we go to the doctor and uh, and we and he says, uh, you know, what, what's what's going on? What's wrong? And we say, I don't feel well. Well, what's the doctor going to say? Okay, what's what 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 are your symptoms? Tell me, tell me a little bit more. And uh, I can say, well, my my stomach hurts. He's going to poke and prod and everything else, and then, uh, and then he might say, well, um, your problem is a stomach disorder. Well, what am I going to say? What's that? Yeah, right. Uh, that could be anything from uh, I had uh, too many burritos from Taco Bell to um, you, you have stomach cancer. I want to know what in the world you're talking about, right? Um, so words have a lot of meaning. <laughs> stomach disorder uh, doesn't do it for me, nor does it do it for him when I say I don't feel well. 
Um, so words help us to communicate very specific things. We want to be uh, specific. Um, and the Bible is a very, very specific uh, book. Um, so I'll give you, uh, give you an example um, of a time where uh, this has really uh, rung true for me. Um, I had, a, I had a, a person one time ask me if I was a Calvinist. And I said, um, I felt trapped. Um, so I said, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? How do you define that? And the response was, well, uh, someone who doesn't believe um, that we should do missions, someone who doesn't believe in evangelism, and someone that believes that if, uh, if God's going to save someone, even if they don't want to be saved, they will be. And if they want to be, but they're not of God's elect, then they can't be. And so I, it was very easy for me to say then, no, according to your definition, I am not a Calvinist. Um, but when I hear that, I don't think it's a dirty word. I identify myself as a Calvinist. So if I would have just said yes, um, they would have had a lot of misconceptions and wrong ideas about exactly what that meant. Uh, so it's very, very important that we recognize, too, and... As you look at the cults especially, they will use the words that we use, but they will use them in a very different way. And so we have to be very clear about the, uh, the definitions of the words that we're using, the specific words. Um, so there's two methods of which words are um, defined. The first is uh, entomology. And that's the, the study of words, basically the root. What is the, um, where, did the, where did the word come from? What is its origin? Those, uh, those types of things. The other is by uh, customary usage. Um, so if we think of uh, etymology, think of the word hippopotamus. Um, does anyone know what the Greek uh, word is? Um, the Greek word hippos, does anyone know what that means in English? No? It's, it's horses or horse. Hippos in Greek is horse. Uh, potamus uh, means river. So if you put that together, you have a river horse. So in the Greek, hippopotamus is river horse. So um, studying the root or the original meaning of that word helps us to have a picture and understanding of how we get to defining what a hippopotamus is. Um, let me give you another example. The Hebrew word for glory, I think I brought this up on uh, a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning. Uh, the Hebrew word for glory originally meant heavy or weighty, that there's, there's weight to God. So if I asked you, well, maybe you've never thought of this, if I ask you to define glory, think about that for a minute. Uh, that's a very difficult thing to define, right? Well, we could talk about God's um, beauty. We could talk about God's radiance. The Bible talks about God's glory as being a light. Uh, if we combine all of his character and his attributes, we have his glory. So, but that's a word that we use often. We talk about it. We talk about bringing glory to God and all in God's glory shining. But as it comes to thinking about how do we define that, it becomes a lot more difficult. Well, it's very helpful to know that in the Hebrew, as they spoke of God's glory, they're talking about weight. And so 
as we talk about that, we can consider the weightiness of God. As we talk about God's glory, we talk about uh, the weight and the strength and the force behind God and His name. Um, uh, so that's uh, as we study the meaning of words, it's very important to understand where they came from, um, uh, how, they're, how they're being used uh, in that regard. Also, there's uh, the... Um, as we look at words, their customary usage. And that changes in time. We've seen that change uh, in the English language with many different words. Um, so uh, if I say something is, uh, is bad, um, in our, in our uh, culture, that could mean things are bad in terms of they're not going well. Um, but there have been times and places in our culture where bad has meant good. Um, you think of uh, Michael Jackson. He said he was bad, and he knew it. Um, <laughs> but that was supposed to be good. Um, and so you, you can think of uh, many different words that have had various meanings. Uh, consider the word gay. Uh, gay has a very uh, specific meaning referring to uh, a homosexual in our culture, but gay has also meant in the past, and if you read older literature, it's talking about uh, being happy, and that's not a bad thing. Um, so there are many, many words we can go into. Um, so it's very important as we think of words, as we look in the scriptures and the interpretation specifically to English, uh, that we understand the customary usage of those words. Um, any questions about those uh, those two things, etymology and customary usage? Okay, something else that's very important, and this sort of this goes in some way with customary usage. We're going to look at this in more detail. Words with multiple meanings, and this really becomes important when we get into uh, the scriptures. So, I'm going to give us an example. Go uh, go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis 1, uh, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. Uh, what, what day of the week does the Bible say that happened? Okay, third day. Um, when uh, when was man created? I hear it. Someone say it loudly. You're right. Be proud. Six. <laughs> the sixth day, right? Okay. Um, we see that in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So day three, we have vegetation, plants. Day six, we have man. Now go to chapter 2. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. 
And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What seems to be going on here? Is there a contradiction between two chapters? Chapter 3, we have, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, on day 3, we have the creation of the vegetation. Day 6, man. It was not even a whole chapter. Uh, a chapter later, we see uh, very clearly, um, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, man was created out of the dust. What's going on here? Well, this is where it's very, very, very important for us to understand uh, the use of the words that are being employed here. Um, in Genesis 1, as it talks about, in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, everything else. This is talking about the earth as a whole. All the earth. Let the earth sprout these things. Trees, plants, everything else. Notice in chapter 2, And verse 5, it says, no bush of the field. Your versions, uh, the ESV does a good job to make the distinction between earth and field, but some versions don't. Some of them just stick to ground. Genesis 2 is using the Hebrew word uh, seda, which is specifically talking about a field of land. In In this instance, it's talking about the garden. Uh, so uh, this Hebrew word is always used in the Bible to define a specific area, a specific piece of land. Um, so in reading two, uh, chapter 2 and verse 5 and following, we can begin to understand exactly what the author of Genesis is trying to point out. Um, that uh, there is a difference between all the plants that are on the earth and the plants that are in the specific place where man will be living and that are needed to keep him alive. And particularly, uh, many think, and we got in a little discussion in this in Sunday school, uh, in Brad's class on Sunday, uh, the tree, uh, which, 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 what are the two trees in the middle of the garden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we know that one. What's the other one? The tree of life. Uh, many understand that the tree of life was there that Adam and Eve needed to frequently eat of the tree of life in order to sustain their life in the garden. Um, so what the author is pointing out is not that uh, we, he, uh, he forgot which day what happened and we messed that up. He's speaking specifically of when man came about, all of the, the plants that were necessary in the garden to be sustained, uh, that he could be sustained, were not yet there. And yet many skeptics and many who try to disprove the Bible will go to this and say, well, there's a contradiction right there, first two chapters of the Bible. Um, Again, it's very, very, very important that we understand words. Essentially, God created wild plants, but he held back on creating those that, that needed man to help them thrive. Remember, man had a job in the garden. It was to to work the land. Um, So... Uh, that's a very important distinction to make. Uh, well, no, they ate of the plants of the garden, but that was uh, that was one specifically that's pointed out. But the plants they needed in order to uh, to live off of weren't yet created until man was, is what we get from that uh, passage. 
let's uh, let's consider this. Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. Depending on the type of church you grew up in, this may be a very well-known verse to you. If I had to make a top ten list of most abused scriptures, this would be on it. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. We're going to see how uh, the word, uh, the simple word will can be interpreted. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, or uh, not wishing, um, the most versions would say, not willing. Okay, so... This verse by itself, this is kind of a lesson both in word study but also in context. It's also very important, and we'll look at that as well. Um, there's several ways that we can uh, interpret the word will. Um, it could mean, this verse could mean, that God has legislated a precept that no one is allowed to perish. It's against the law of God for anybody to perish. Okay? We could see that. Now, if your version says um, uh, wish, uh, not wishing, uh, think of this in terms of willing, that it's not God's will that any should perish. So that could be one interpretation, and certainly with uh, that use of the word will or willing, that, uh, that would fit. Uh, we could say God has sovereignly decreed that uh, and, and effects most certainly that no one will ever perish. That it's God's decree. God has made it happen. It is God's will that none will perish. It's, uh, it's not going to happen. Or we can look at it as number three. God is not pleased or delighted when people perish. So which is it? Let's consider the context of the whole verse. Which one is it? One, two, or three? No one's allowed to perish. No one will perish. Or God's not delighted when any do perish. It's pretty simple, right? The third one. Is that true? God does not delight that people perish? That is true. It tells us in Ezekiel, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. This is something God takes delight in. Uh, but it happens because God is just. Now, here's the important thing that we also have to recognize about uh, this passage Some of you have walked through this before. The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward... What's that word? You. What does the word you imply? Is this everybody out there? Peter has an audience, right? We have to figure out who that audience is. Let's back up. Um... Look at the top. Uh, look at the top of this uh, of this letter. Uh, uh, excuse me, of this chapter, chapter three. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you. Okay. Well, that would tell me to go back to the first letter that Peter wrote. First Peter. Now, Greek letters. Where uh, where do we find out who they are addressed to? Where in the letter? 
beginning, right? Just the same as us. Okay, so the first part of 1 Peter. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion, to Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, so he's writing to the elect. He's writing to God's people. And he's saying, God is not willing that any of you, God's people, should perish. And so he's patient. He's, he's waiting, essentially. Uh, and this squares with the rest of Scripture. God is being patient and waiting until all of the elect have come in. And then the judgment. So it's very, very important that we understand and pay very close attention to individual words. It can change our entire theological perspective. That one word, you, and the other word, will, are very, very important. If we don't stop and consider, what does he mean by you? Our theology would turn to, God wants everybody to be saved, but God doesn't save everybody. So then, it must be, must be up to us. It must be, uh, have something to do with our will because it's going against God's will. And all sorts of things spin out of that. A very simple reading of this verse points us to the fact that he means a very specific group of people. He's talking about God's elect. Is everyone tracking with that? Any uh, questions about that? Or thoughts? Yeah, that's another it can be translated either. Will, wish, desire, longing, all of those interchangeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's the vital importance of the method of interpretation as we talked about before, the grammatical historical method. We need to understand the history of what's going on. If we don't, then we can spin off into some, uh, uh, some areas of interpretation that are going to be looking wrongly at the Scriptures. Um, so uh, that's, that's a good point, John, that yes, the Scriptures are for us. All Scripture is useful. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's for our teaching, our instruction, our reproof, our training in righteousness. But Scripture was written to people. We have to understand who those people are and what their situation was and uh, to determine uh, specific uh, things about them. So, uh, very good. Let's talk about the word justify. Uh, Look at Romans uh, 3.28. Romans 3.28 Very well-known verse here. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay? So we have the use of the word justified here. All right. Consider also, keep your hand there if you want to flip over to James 2.24. James 2.24. 
James writes, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. There's a problem here, isn't there? Paul says unequivocally, man is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. We see that time and again in his writings. Now James is saying man's not saved by faith alone. You save, uh, there's, there's works involved. We see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so there's a, a few things that we can uh, conclude here. Uh, one conclusion might be that um, Paul and James um, are simply contradicting each other. Uh, well, that's problematic. Uh, if, if they're contradicting each other, then the Bible's not sufficient and we can't trust it. Uh, so we better very quickly conclude um, that the problem's not with uh, Paul and James. The problem's with us. There's something else at play here. Um, so uh, what, what other things might we need to look at? What do you think? What do we need to consider as we consider this word justified and what they mean by this? One says by faith and one says by works. What are some other considerations? Okay, good. Very good. That's what I wanted to hear. What, what do we call, what are we looking for? Context. The literary context of the passage. We can't just look at individual verses and draw conclusions. We need to know the context. It's king. Context is king. Remember that. Okay, so Paul is talking about our justification in terms of what? When we say that word justification, the way Paul's using it, we're justified by faith alone. What is he talking about? Okay, our salvation, very simply put. Our, our legal standing before God. We have been given a... a uh, we've been given a... Um, a legal verdict, and that is that we are not guilty. We are justified. How is James using the word justified? Is he using it in the same way? Is he talking about our salvation? Okay. No, you're right. I th- I, the, uh, the, the conclusion we... we hopefully we'll draw automatically is no, he can't be. Because the Bible is abundantly clear that we can't work for our salvation. That's what sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world. So we know he's not talking about salvation here, but what is he talking about? What are some other ways the word justify can be used? Just think about that yourself. What are, what are some common usages or multiple usages of the word justify? Okay, good, we're on the right track there. We can justify or give, uh, what's another way to say that? We give, um, give a reason for, or give account for something. You think we're more on track with what James is using the word here now? What's that? Yeah, evidence for. Okay, so when James is talking about justification... He's using it in a very different sense. What is the context of this passage? Someone who knows what's chapter 2 of James, uh, what, what is he talking about here? Or just give me the heading of that passage. What does it say? Okay. And the, the famous uh, statement from James in there is that is what? Faith with... Yeah, faith without works is dead. 
So justify in James's language is not at all the same as what Paul is saying. James is saying our works are giving evidence of our faith. We all agree with that, right? If we have no good works in our life, it's a sure sign that something is wrong with our heart. The Puritans always would say um, that it's not a, a faith of works, it's a faith that works. We don't, we don't have faith in the things that we're doing, that those are what justifies us. But if we are justified in the saving way, uh, then we will have good works. It's the sign of a regenerate heart. So, again, these are two verses that people want to put up next to each other and compare and say, well, we see the contradiction here. Well, there's no contradiction at all. It's how the words are being used. There's multiple meanings to individual words. Um, we can even take the word justification or justify even further. Um, Paul insists in Romans chapter 4, we don't have to look all these up, I'll just share it with you, that Abraham is justified when he believes the promise of God before he is ever circumcised, right? If you think of that in Genesis, um, uh, what is it, 10, 15, I believe. It says Abraham... Um, God counted uh, Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. Uh, so Abraham believed God. He believed what God had told him, this covenant promise, and God granted that to him as his righteousness, his belief, his faith. And Paul makes the point in Romans 4 that that was before he ever did any kind of work. And that work of the covenant sign of circumcision doesn't happen until um, six or seven chapters later. Um, but then we see James says was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar here's James again this guy's always throwing a wrench in this thing right what is James talking about James 2 21 was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Again, we're in the same passage. There's some context here. What's he talking about? Think, think of the story. Abraham sacrificing Isaac. What does God say to Abraham afterwards? What's that? Okay, he's a willing servant. We see... Uh, he's, he's standing there, and God stops him, provides the ram, and he tells Abraham, remember he says, now I know. Now, obviously God knew, but he says, uh, he's, he's teaching Abraham something. Now I know of your faith. I know you're willing to follow me. I know that you're willing to do as I have uh, commanded you. But what is James talking about in context here? Abraham uh, was justified uh, by this action, what is he? What is he saying? The same thing he was saying as we looked at James a moment ago, right? Abraham doing that was justification for his faith in God that he's already been counted righteous for. It's proof of his faith. It's proof of his belief. It's proof that he uh, he is believing what he's saying. He's believing. Absolutely. So, think of it this way. Our justification 
is justified by our works. Our right standing before God, our legal uh, pronouncement of not guilty, is evidenced by our works. That's all that means. We are, our justification is justified by our works. We have a faith not of works, but a faith that works. Does that make sense, everybody? We all track in with that. All right. Um, all right. Before uh, we cut out, I want to I want to give us an example of uh, why word studies can be so very important. Um, let's look together at Exodus chapter four. Here's where I want to show you the importance of owning a little book like this. Um, (laughs) A concordance is very, very important for any Christian to have in their library. Um, This one is an NIV concordance. They're all very similar, but whatever version you study after uh, is going to be the concordance that you want. Um, uh, I want to use the example of uh, the word harden. As uh, we're going to look at it, it's God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. What does that mean exactly? So I want to show you how to use a concordance. Uh, basically, if you, if you don't know anything about these books, um, they have every word that is, uh, presents itself in the Bible is in a concordance. It tells you uh, how many times that word is used, uh, what verses it's used in, and then it gives you a number reference to the back, and in the back we have the words in Greek and we have the words in Hebrew. And we can go there and dig out all of the, um, all of the finer details of that, work, that word in its original language. So when you hear preachers um, sounding super smart like, hey, this word in the original languages, here's what it means, and we can go on for ten minutes about that. Well, it's, it's all right here, so uh, we're cheaters. But... Um, this is something that um, is very, very valuable. Uh, it's, uh, this is, in fact, I think all of you know my friend Harold. Uh, when he began, he, he began to understand the doctrines of grace, uh, Reformed theology, it was because he started reading through the book of Romans and looking up words in his concordance. What does sin actually mean? And he started reading through and finding out all about the word sin itself, and that led him to understand man's depravity and all the other pieces kind of line up from there. Um, so it's very, very important. So I want to give us an example. This word, hardened. So what I would do, the front part of the book is all the words in the Bible. I would just use it like a dictionary and look up um, hardened. Actually, let me have um, Andrea, you're a teacher. Come here, help me. My computer program does all this for me, so... Okay, Harden, right there. I got it. I I did that part for you. Okay, look for Exodus 4.21 on there. You find it? Okay. Um, So it should say, um, The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that uh, you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Is that right? Okay, so it just it gives you a little snippet of the verse so you know you're in the right place. All right, what's the number out next to that? 
Okay, so we're going to write that down just for our study here. 26.16. Now, I also want us to look at um, Exodus chapter 7 and verse 3. Is that the next one on there or pretty close? Okay. Exodus 7 and verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Now, those sound like they're being used very much the same way, right? We agree that hardened sounds to be the same thing. What's the number for that one? 7996. Okay, so Old Testament written in what language? Hebrew, right. Okay, so we're going to go to the Hebrew section of this book, which is in the back here. Um, the easy way... Hebrew words are like square letters. Greek words are squiggly letters. That'll help you. You don't have to know Hebrew and Greek to use this. Um, so uh, you're, in, you're in the Hebrew section here. Now look up 2616. They're in numerical order there. You got it? Okay, so read off some of the meanings there. To be strong, hard, strength, character. Okay, that's good. So we get the, is this positive, generally positive or negative? Mainly positive, right? Strength, firmness, encouragement, all these things, right? Okay, now go to 7996. That's good. Thank you. You've done wonderful. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so here's the important thing for us to, to gather from this. In chapter 4 and verse 21, the word, the Hebrew word that's used that we in the English interpret as harden is giving us the idea of strength and firmness and power, right? And then when we read in chapter 7 and verse 3, uh, some of the words she read off, harsh, cruel, stiff-necked. Okay, so what might be the difference here as God is saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart? Look again at verse 21 in chapter 4. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I put in your power, but I will harden his heart. I will strengthen, I will firm up his heart. Um so that he will not let the people go. Okay, now think of that as we look at chapter 7 and verse 3. I will harden, I will make harsh, I will make cruel, I will make stiff-necked the heart of Pharaoh. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. So it's subtle, but there's a difference there, right? What does the difference imply? about God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Right. Exactly right. Okay? Yeah. Well, and because all we read in the English is hardened. It seems to mean the same thing, right? Earl is r exactly right here. I'm going to strengthen or firm up Pharaoh's heart so that he is he's not at all persuaded by these miracles. 
he is all the more convinced of uh, because what what happens in all of this? He brings in his sorcerers, and they they're able to uh, replicate some of these things that Moses is doing, right? Um, so he's all the more convinced that this is no big deal. But what happens when we get over to to chapter seven? Is God says, "I will harden his heart. I will make him cruel. I will make him harsh. I will make him stiff-necked, and he will not, no matter what, let my people go." That's a big difference, right? Now, this is also a good thing to point out, as there will be those who will say, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart because he knew that Pharaoh was going to harden his own heart. Well, that's not at all what the text says, is it? God himself is saying, I will make him harsh and cruel and stiff-necked. It's very different than, "I'm, I'm just going along with what Pharaoh wants because he doesn't like me or my people. So those subtle nuances bring whole new, a whole new light, a whole new meaning to the text that we really, um, we really need to understand if we're going to, uh, to grasp what the Scriptures are teaching. So very much encourage all of you, uh, when, you're, when you're able, to purchase a, a concordance for um, whatever version of the Bible you use the most. Um, the, if you use the ESV... Um, there's a very good one by Crossway for the ESV as well. So um, these these will run you anywhere from twenty five to forty or fifty dollars. It's an expensive book, but certainly worth it in, as you do Bible study. Any any questions? We're we're out of time, but any questions on anything tonight? Or thoughts? Helpful? Was that helpful? Good. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray and be dismissed. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to, um, to gather and to look at your word and to not only uh, skim uh, across the words of the scriptures and not only to, um, to take them uh, lightly um, and at their face value as we see them, uh, but to dig deeply and to see very clearly uh, what is being communicated uh, with uh, with more depth and with more meaning and understanding. Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us the tools um, that we can unlock uh, great treasures to be found in the Scriptures, uh, that we not be left with our own understanding, but that you have um, in your Word uh, and in the things you've given us to study your Word uh, that you uh, that you help us to dig beyond, dig below uh, what we think and understand words to mean, and to bring a greater clarity and greater meaning um, to uh, your scriptures, that we can know and trust and understand you more, to know how you work, to know how you function. Well, Lord, it is so uh, it is so eye opening sometimes to uh, to simply. Uh, dig into individual words, and it, it's, it, uh, it brings so much delight to our hearts um, to know that you, uh, you didn't simply inspire ideas, you didn't simply inspire thoughts, but you inspired words. And those words bring life and truth and meaning and understanding to us that we can know and trust and love you more. So thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, thank you for this time of study. Thank you for the scriptures. We're so uh, grateful that you've chosen to love us and to show us yourself uh, through uh, your unchanging and uh, ever-faithful word. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.